This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, especially if you may be watching for the first time. We want you to stay tuned today as we discuss this Bible topic, true greatness. True greatness. What constitutes true greatness in the eyes of God? Now today on our telecast, we continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course, and I emphasize it is free. And we want to pause long enough so that you can learn more about the course and you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read today from the 22nd chapter of Luke's gospel and I'll read verse 24 beginning. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise, exercise lordship over them. And, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. O on the contrary, who is greatest among you? Let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. You know, the, the desire for greatness is characteristic of the human family. And I don't <clears throat> think that anyone would deny that the desire for greatness is admirable quality. But sometimes this desire for greatness has become perverted. And, and it may not be the way that the Lord intended it to be. If we could just take that desire to achieve things in life and channel it in the right direction, then a lot of good can be done. But not all so-called greatness is pleasing to God. Some may be like what Shakespeare had one of his characters to say, be not afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. I'm not sure that's exactly the way what the Lord had in mind. Horace Mann said, if a man seeks greatness, let him seek truth, and he will find both. Samuel Johnson said, nothing is great which is not right. And I think he's exactly correct on that. 
But what are the standards of greatness? How, how do we determine whether some person is great or not? Well, there are all kinds of standards that people use to determine what is great and what is not great. So some think that if a person has a lot of education, if they've been to some prestigious school somewhere, and they've received a number of degrees from that prestigious school, that they're great in the sight of men. That person may be great, but it's not necessarily because of the education they have. It may be because of what they do with the education that they have. Some, some think that greatness is determined by the amount of money that a person has. That if they have amassed a great amount of money in this life, and if they have access to a lot of money, then they are considered to be great in the eyes of people. Well, they may be great, but it's not because of the money they have. If they're great, it's because of what they do with the, with the funds they have at their disposal. So some think that greatness is determined by one's ability to speak well. Why, here's an individual, and maybe they're a, a great orator. And they can just take you on the wings of flight with the way that they speak. And you say, well, that person is a great person because of the way they speak. Well, that person may be great in God's sight, but, but it's not because of their great oratorical ability, but it's because of what they may do with the ability that they have. Sometimes greatness is determined by the position that a person has in life or the power, the prestige that a person has in life. And we're prone to say that's really a great man, that's a great woman. Look at what they have done in life. Well, they may be great in the eyes of God, but they're not great because they have power, because they have position, because they have prestige but they may be great because of what they do with that which they have. So you see, there are different ideas that people have about greatness. Why, if an individual is a great actor or an actress, people are prone to just admire them and talk about how great they are. Well, a person who is a good actor or an actress may be great. But, but they're not great because they're a good actor, because they're a good actress. They're great because of what they do with the ability that God gave to them. What does the Bible say about greatness? True greatness. How's an individual going to become a great person? I want you to turn first of all to Matthew, the 18th chapter, in verse 1 through 4. And Jesus is talking about greatness. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Doesn't that just like a lot of people today wanting to know who's greatest in the church? And then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child, 
is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus was asked a question, who's greatest in the kingdom? So Jesus uses a child as an object lesson. And he sets a child in their midst. And he says, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you're not going to go to heaven. That's just plain and simple what Jesus says. Someone says, well, I know of people and they're so childish. Well, there's a difference in being like a child, childlike in your character, childlike in your conduct, and a person being childish. You know, Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I would have put my toys away and quit acting like a child. Some people are not ever able to do that. But those who are great in the kingdom become childlike. They become childlike in their innocence, in their simplicity. Children are so forgiving. Haven't you seen the case that two children maybe get in a fuss? Maybe they're fighting over a toy. And both of them want the toy. And it's not more than five minutes later. They're laughing and playing together like nothing ever happened. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if grown-ups could be that way, be childlike so far as forgiveness is concerned? And then you think about the faith of a little child. Children believe in older people. There's no one that a child believes any more in than father or mother. And we need to have the faith of a little child. Jesus said, unless you're converted and become as little children, and in order to do that, you must be humble at heart. Humble at heart. You know, there's a threefold change that takes place in Bible conversion. And in each one of those changes, humility is at the base of it. One of those changes is a change of a person's intellect from unbelief to belief. And for, a, for an individual to change their thinking and to, think, to change their attitude, there must be humility. You see, the way that that change takes place is by our exposure to the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. And for that change to happen, a person must recognize that they are incapable of living successfully without guidance from God. That is, they come to rely upon the Word of God. And that is the source of their faith. Then there's another change that takes place when we are converted, and that's a change of life, and that involves repentance of one's sin. And, and for an individual to be willing to repent of his or her sins, humility must be involved. That is, we must recognize that our sin is breaking the heart of God. We must recognize that our sin will separate us from God and that our sin will cause us to be lost eternally. We must humble ourselves in the sight of God in order that, and be willing to say, Lord, I have sinned. A change of, of heart, a change of our life.
You see, the Bible says, unless you repent, you will perish. Another change that takes place in Bible conversion is a change of state. From being outside Christ to being in Christ. You see, we believe on Jesus, John 8, 24. We repent of our sins, Acts 3, 19. And we're to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That's how the change of state takes place. Galatians 3.27 Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. We put Christ on when we're baptized. And there a person is never more humble than when they are in the hands of another and they take them and they immerse them under the water for the remission of their sins and then they bring them back out of the water to rise to walk in newness of life. You have to be humble as a little child to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons many people have never obeyed the gospel is they have just too much pride to admit they are wrong. They have too much pride to say, Lord, I need you every hour. But let's look at another passage of Scripture about true greatness. And this passage will take us to Matthew, the 20th chapter, and verse 20 to 28. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? Isn't this just like a mother said, I'd like for you to do something for my sons. How many of you have ever gone to someone and say, I, I need to ask you a favor. Could you help my son? Could you help my daughter? Well, here's what she wanted. Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said to him, We're able. He said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus, when he talked about drink the cup, it was the cup of suffering. When he talked about a baptism that they were to be baptized with, he was talking about the baptism of suffering, overwhelmed in suffering. Then when the ten heard this, they were greatly dis displeased with the two brothers. You see, the other disciples learned that these two boys, mother, wanted them to have great positions in the kingdom because she thought they were the greatest. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. That's the way people do in the civil, in the civil world. People have exercised lordship and over those that are under them. Yet Jesus said in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, here's the answer now, let him 
be your servant. Who is greatest in the kingdom? It's the person who serves. I have often thought that in God's eyes, the greatest people in the kingdom may be unknown. The greatest preacher in the church may be some man that's laboring out in a mission field somewhere, unknown to the brotherhood at large. And yet sometimes we'll take a man, we want to say this is a great preacher, great man, greatest preacher in the church, but that's in our eyes. What about in the eyes of God? The greatest person is the person who serves. Now Jesus went on. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ did not come into this world so that people could wait on him hand and foot. Have you ever seen a preacher like that? He, he carries the idea that you're to wait on me hand and foot. You're to supply every need that I have. You're to do everything for me. It's all about him. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, you need to learn to serve. Jesus, our example, did not come into this world to be served, but to serve. In Philippians, the second chapter, Paul said he emptied himself in the form of a servant. In John, the 13th chapter, it is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus did not do that to give us an example of something we're to do in worship. That, that's not a part of worship. In those days, that, that was an act of hospitality. When a guest would come to your home, their feet would be dusty from walking on the roads. And it was an act of hospitality to, to wash their feet. But before Jesus washed the disciples' feet, the Bible says in John 13 that he girded himself with a towel. And can you imagine the man who the Bible describes as being the Prince of Peace, the man who is described in the Bible as the King of Kings, the man who is described in the Bible as being the Lord of Lords, the man who is described in the Bible as being the divine Son of God, the man who is described in the Bible as being the one who was involved in the creation of the world, who is before all things, and by him all things consist. And yet here he is. I visualize him down on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And I believe that if there's anything that's needed in society today, it's more of a girding of the towel. 
People need to start looking out for number one. Looking out for themselves. And we need to be asking, what can I do to help other people? What can I do to help them with the burdens they're bearing? How can I serve? You see, the greatest in the kingdom are those who are willing to serve the needs of others. So it's not always what we think when it comes to the standard of greatness. The person may be unknown. They may not be a great speaker. They may not have a lot of money. They may be relatively poor. But in the sight of God, they may be some of the greatest in the kingdom because they're willing to serve and to help other people. You say, well, Brother Lambert, wh why do you suppose people won't do that? Why do they will not be willing to serve? I think sometimes we just get so full of ourselves. We just get so wrapped up in ourselves that we forget about others. Paul said in Philippians, the second chapter, in the early part of that chapter, each of you looking not only to his own things, but also to the things of others. Sometimes we just look to our own things and we overlook the needs in the lives of others. There are young people today that need encouragement. Serve them. There are older people that need someone to show some love and show them some attention. Serve them. The world is looking for servants. Where would the church be today without servants in it? Why, church without servants in it would be like a hospital without nurses and doctors. A church without servants in it would be like a, a police department without policemen. A fire department without firemen. A church without servants would be like a football team without players and without a coach. It'd be like a baseball team without players, without a coach. The church must have those who serve. It was Henry Ward Beecher who said that the most diabolical trick the devil ever played on the church was the creation of the so-called clergy and laity. In case you're not familiar with those terms, the clergy would be the preachers, and they're sort of put on a little pedestal, and the laity are the rest of us. And, and that system is very prevalent in the religious world today. You have the clergy, so-called clergy, and the laity. And that is a trick the devil played on us. Because you see, in the church, there are to be no big eyes and little U's. We're all on the same level. I, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And the preacher ought not to be put on some kind of a pedestal. I've often heard that when you put on a pedestal, that just gives you a lot farther to fall when you do fall. Those who are great are those who serve and every Christian is a servant or a minister. All of us are ministers.
in the body of Christ. My ministry is preaching the gospel. Others may have a ministry of something else. But let's look at another passage, and this passage is in Matthew chapter 23, and it's in verses 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. How much plainer could Jesus make it? And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's an old axiom that goes like this, the way up is down. And that's true. The way to be exalted is first of all to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. James chapter 4 and verse number 10. Who's greatest in the kingdom? It's that person who becomes humble as a child. It's that person who's willing to serve other people, who's willing to roll up the sleeves and get with it and to help those that are in need. I remember when there was a tornado that tore through the state of Alabama. And there was devastation everywhere. You know, people weren't concerned about who was the greatest. What they were concerned about is who can help us. And there were people who rolled up their sleeves. They got out in the midst of all of the devastation to do everything they could to help other people. That's what life is all about. If your idea is people are supposed to serve me, to help me, you've got the wrong idea. Would you become a Christian today? Are you humble enough to give your life to Jesus? By believing on Him, by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, by being baptized into Him? I want to urge you to do that today. And also, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And please pick up the telephone right now. Call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. If you prefer, you can take the course online. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. From my very first day at Faulkner, it's been an incredible experience. There's so much to do around campus, and I know that I've made friends that will last a lifetime. I love using my iPad in my classes. I feel really prepared for the future. Plus, the use of e-text helps me cut costs on textbooks. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different from most other universities. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 
3-6-5-8-0. Or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles. <laughs>